Book four, chapter three of the fallen leaves. This is the LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elsie Selwyn. The fallen leaves by Wilkie Collins. Book four, chapter three. Rufus found his friend at the lodgings, prostrate on the sofa, smoking furiously. Before a word had passed between them, it was plain to the New Englander that something had gone wrong well he asked and what does farnaby say damn farnaby rufus was secretly conscious of a immense sense of relief i call that a stiff way of putting it he quietly remarked but the meaning's clear farnaby has said no amelius jumped off the sofa and planted himself defiantly on the hearth-rug you're wrong for once he said with a bitter laugh, "'The exacerbating part of it is that Farnaby has said neither yes or no. "'The oily, whiskered brute—you haven't seen him yet, have you?—began by saying yes. "'A man like me, the heir of a fine old English family, honoured him by making proposals. "'He could wish no more brilliant prospect for his dear adopted child. "'She would fill the high position that was offered to her and fill it worthily. "'That was the funny way in which he talked to me at first. "'He squeezed my hand in his horrid, cold, shiny paw till, I give you my word of honour, I felt as if I were going to be sick.' wait a little you haven't heard the worst of it yet he soon altered his tone it began with his asking me if i had considered the question of settlements i didn't know what he meant he had to put it in plain english he wanted to hear what my property was oh that's soon settled i said i've got a five hundred a year and regina is welcome to every farthing of it he fell back in his chair as if i had shot him he turned it was worse than pale he was positively turned green at first he wouldn't believe me he declared i must be joking i set him right about that immediately his next change was a proud impudence have you not observed sir in what style regina is accustomed to live in my house five hundred a year good heavens with strict economy five hundred a year might pay her milliner's bill and the keep of her horse and carriage who is to pay for everything else the establishment the dinner parties and balls the tour abroad the children the nurses the doctor i told you this mr goldenheart i'm willing to make a sacrifice to you as a born gentleman which i would certainly not consent to in the case of any self-made man in larger income sir to no more than four times five hundred pounds and i guarantee you a yearly allowance to regina of half as much again besides the fortune which she will inherit at my death that will make your income three thousand a year to start with i know something of domestic expenses and i tell you positively you can't do it with a farthing less that was his language rufus the insolence of his tone i can't attempt to describe if i hadn't thought of regina i should have behaved in a manner unworthy of a christian i believe i should have taken my walking cane and given him a sound thrashing rufus neither expressed surprise nor offered advice he was lost in meditation on the wealth of mr farnaby a stationer's business seems to eventuate in a lively profit in this country he said a stationer's business amelius repeated disdainfully Farnaby has half a dozen irons in the fire besides that. He's got a newspaper and a patent medicine and a new bank and I don't know what else. One of his friends said to me, Nobody knows whether Farnaby is rich or poor. He's going to do one of two things. He's going to die worth millions or to die bankrupt. Oh, if I can only live to see the day when socialism will put that sort of man in his right place. Try a republic on our model first, said Rufus. When Farnaby talks of the style his young woman is accustomed to live in, what does he mean? he means amelius answered smartly a carriage to live in champagne on the table and a footman to answer the door farnaby's ideas sir have crossed the water and landed in new york rufus remarked well and what did you say to him on your side 
I gave it to him, I tell you, that's all ostentation, I said. Why can't Regina and I begin life modestly? What do we want with a carriage to drive out in, and champagne on the table and a footman to answer the door? We want to love each other and be happy. There are thousands of as good gentlemen as I am in England with wives and families who would ask for nothing better than an income of five hundred a year. The fact is, Mr. Farnaby, you're positively saturated with the love of money. Get your New Testament and read what Christ says of rich people. What do you think he did when I put it in that unanswerable way? He held up his hand and looked horrified. I can't allow profanity in my office, he said. I have my New Testament to read to me in church, sir, every Sunday. That's the sort of Christian Rufus who is the average product of modern times. He was as obstinate as a mule. He wouldn't give up a single inch. His adopted daughter, he said, was accustomed to live in a certain style. In that same style, she should live when she was married, so long as he had a voice in the matter. Of course, if she chose to set his wishes and feelings at defiance in return for all that he had done for her, she was old enough to take her own way. In that case, he would tell me as plainly as I meant to tell her that she must not look to a single farthing of his money to help her, and not to expect to find her name down in his will. He felt the honour of a family alliance with me as sincerely as ever, but he must abide by the conditions that he had stated. On those terms, he would be proud to give me the hand of Regina at the altar, and proud to feel that he had done his duty by his adopted child. I let him go on till he had burned himself out, and then I answered quietly, if he could tell me the way to increase my income to two hundred thousand a year. How do you think he answered me? Perhaps he offered to utilize your capital in his business? Rufus guessed. Not he. He considered business quite beneath me. My duty to myself as a gentleman was to adopt a profession. On reflection, it turned out that there was but one likely profession to try in my case— the law i meant to be caught to the bar and with luck i might get remunerative work to do in eight or ten years time that i declare to you was the prospect he set before me if i chose to take his advice i asked him if he was joking certainly not i was only one and twenty years old he reminded me i had plenty of time to spare i should still marry young if i married at thirty i took up my hat and gave him a bit of my mind at parting if you really mean anything, I said, you mean that Regina is to pine and to fade and to become a middle-aged woman, and that I am to resist the temptations that beset a young man in London, and lead the life of a monk for the next ten years. Not for what? For a carriage to ride out in, champagne on the table, and a footman to answer the door? Keep your money, Mr. Farnaby. Regina and I will do without it. What are you laughing at? I don't think you could have put it more strongly yourself. Rufus suddenly recovered his gravity. I tell you this, Amelius. He replied, You afford, as we say in my country, meaty fruit for reflection, you do. What do you mean by that? Well, I reckon you remember when we were aboard the boat, you gave us a narrative of what happened in that community of yours, which I can truly characterize as a combination of native eloquence and chastine good sense. I put the question to myself, sir, what has become of that well-informed and discreet young Christian, now he has changed the spear to England and mixed with the Farnabies? Is it not to be denied that I see him before me in the flesh when I look across the table here, but it's equally true that I miss him altogether in the spirit? Amelius sat down again on the sofa. In plain words, he said, you think I've behaved like a fool in this matter? Rufus crossed his long legs and nodded his head in silent approval. Instead of taking offense, Amelius considered a little. It didn't strike me before, he said. But now you mention it, I can understand that I appear to be a simple sort of fellow in what is called society here, and the reason I suspect is that, 
it's not the society in which i've been accustomed to mix the farnabies are new to me rufus when it comes to a question of my life at tadmore of what i saw and learnt and felt in the community then i can think and speak like a reasonable being because i am thinking and speaking of what i know thoroughly well hang it make some allowance for the difference of circumstances besides i'm in love and that alters a man and i have heard some people say not always for the better anyhow i've done it with farnaby and it can't be undone there will be no peace for me now until i have spoken to regina i have read the note you left me did you see her when you called at the house the quiet tone in which this question was put surprised rufus he had fully expected after regina's reception of him to be called to account for the liberty he had taken amelius was too completely absorbed by his present anxieties to consider trivial questions of etiquette hearing that rufus had seen regina he never even asked for his friend's opinion of her his mind was full of the obstacles that might be interposed to his seeing her again farnaby is sure after what has passed between us to keep her out of my way if he can amelia said and mrs farnaby to my certain knowledge will help him they don't suspect you couldn't you call again you're old enough to be her father and make some excuse to take her out with you for a walk the answer of rufus to this was roman in its brevity he pointed to the window and said look at the rain then i must try her maid once more said amelius resignedly he took his hat and umbrella don't leave me old fellow he resumed as he opened the door this is the turning point of my life i'm sorely in need of a friend do you think she will marry you against the will of her uncle and aunt rufus asked i'm certain of it amelius answered with that he left the room rufus looked after him sadly sympathy and sorrow were expressed in every line of his rugged face my poor boy how will he bear it if she says no what will become of him if she says yes he rubbed his hand irritably across his forehead like a man whose own thoughts were repellent to him in a moment more he plunged into his pockets and drew out again the letters introducing him to the secretaries of public institutions if there's salvation for amelius he said i reckon i shall find it here end of book four chapter three recording by elsie selwyn